Good morning, New Life East. So glad you're with us today. Make your way on in. We're just going to worship the Lord. Give him our all today. God, we look to you. You are the light. You are our hope. You're our joy. In you we live and have our meaning, God. Come on, let's sing this out. You are the light. You are the life and everlasting. You are the life, you're everlasting. You are the word, you are the way, you are the ending. You are the one, come on, sing that out. You're the name we're running to. Oh, you are the cup. You are the cup, you are the bread, Lord, we remember. You are the first, you are the last, you are the center. You are the one over it all, the name we're running to. Oh, there's no one. There is no one, there is no one but Jesus and no other name, no other name that saves.
recognize that all good things come from you. We thank you for the gifts that you've given us, God. Life in itself.
some stuff that I was really wrestling with that had me a little disturbed in my soul. And I found myself just laying on the floor over here while we were singing. And while I was laying there, I just began to like laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh because I've been in this long enough that I think I realize now that at some point there's like this switch that has to like go off in your head where you realize that like you have well, you've pushed all of your chips into the middle of the table with Jesus. And you either have Jesus or the game is lost. And in the middle of all of my sort of disturbedness about my stuff, I realize I've got Jesus, which means that the game can't be lost. And I just had the sense this morning that some of you, you got some things right now in front of you that have you real disturbed, have you concerned. And I want you now, we're gonna go back into this song. The rains came, the winds blew, all that stuff. We'll head back into this in a second. But I want you this morning to just think about that thing that's got you a little bit kind of upset in your spirit. So you're concerned about what's next and you're not sure how you're going to get through it and what's going to become of that. And I want you right in the place of that fear, right in the place of that concern, I want you to push all of your chips into the middle of the table with Jesus. 
want you once, one more time. I know that you've done this before in your life, but you have to with faith. You have to do it over and over and over again. I want you to hang all of your hope again on Jesus this morning and sing this with all of the faith that you have this morning, church. So come on, let's enter back into worship. Sing it. Yeah, make this make this your confession this morning. That you're safe with God.
pass up this opportunity to praise Him. We sing it out. church let's gather up all of our prayer and all of our praise into one and let's pray together as the lord jesus taught us say it our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. If you agree with that, give God praise real loud this morning, church. Jesus bled and died for you, church, and the Father loves you and the Spirit is at work among you. And it is good to see your faces this morning. If this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here. It's a joy to have you in our house. New Life East is one of eight congregations at New Life Church meeting around Colorado Springs. And uh, we'd love to meet you. If this is your first time, just come see us at Connect Central after the service. This is the time in the service when we give our tithes and offerings. And so if you're giving this morning four ways to give, they should be on the screen right over here. And uh, so give as an offering, as an act of worship unto the Lord. Got a few things I need to tell you about uh, this morning before we open the scriptures together. Number one, uh, December 3rd is a big Sunday for us. We're going down to a single service on December 3rd, which is going to be amazing. Some of you are like, where am I going to sit? What's going to happen? You're going to have to make room like Christians do for other people. Let's go. We're going to do our discipleship. It's going to be great. December 3rd, one service, 10 a.m., Remember that we're also taking up a special offering on December 3rd for our East Facilities Fund. So at New Life North, as they're working on paying off their debt that Sunday, we're going to start stockpiling some cash so that when the Lord makes a piece of property available for us in the future, we got the cash reserves to be able to move on that. And so as we've been saying, well, we're calling on you for 100% participation. Open up your heart, listen to the Lord, and give as you'd be led to give on December 3rd. A couple outreach opportunities for you this morning. Uh, every year around here at New Life East, uh, we do adopt to families. And so families uh, that are struggling financially, not able to provide a Christmas for their kids, uh, we take them on as little projects to try to provide Christmas for them. So this year, uh, we have 92 families that need to be sponsored. And so, yeah, everybody's like clapping for that, yay. You actually have to do something about it, you see. Then it'll be a real big praise. And so after the service, you can head out into the lobby. Uh, you can look through all the families that we have there and take one, or if you have the ability to do so, uh, take several families and let's make sure that we get all of those families sponsored this morning. That's announcement number two. Announcement number three. Uh, many of you heard me talk about this past summer when I was on sabbatical, I went on a missions trip to Uganda to work with the church there. Amazing time, changed my life in so many ways. And I mean that. And uh, such a meaningful experience to me that we've been talking with the organization that I went with. And we've developed a partnership with them. So As One Ministries and New Life East are coming together uh, to do a Uganda immersion trip for New Life East next July. 
And so we can take a group of about 10 to 12 folks. If you're interested in going to Africa, seeing the church there, ministering to the church there, being ministered to by the church there, uh, make sure to head to our website. You have until the end of January to fill out your application and then we'll spend, spend next spring, spring raising the money and it's gonna be an amazing trip. So head to the website and check that out. Uh, my parents are in the house this morning. Bill and Nancy aren't are somewhere. Where are mom and dad? Where are they? Wave, wave at me, guys. Where are they? Where do they, there they are. After the service, would you go up to them and pat them on the back and say, it looks like that kid of yours is going to turn out okay after all, all right? And then last thing this morning, and with this, the worship team needs to kind of stop their thing for a second. Missy Call over here turned 40 years old yesterday, and so we as a congregation... Missy, we love you so much, and we're singing happy birthday to you whether we like it, whether you like it or not. And so here we go, congregation, one, two, three. Happy birthday to you. A happy One more time for Missy Call. Give it up. All right. Pastor Rory is going to open the scriptures in like 45 seconds. Turn around and greet a whole bunch of people and we'll open the word together. Good morning, New Life East. You can take a seat. Look at that. It's 929, actually. We, I, I got plenty of time. Go ahead and grab a seat. If we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name is Rory. I am the associate lead pastor here at New Life East. So good to see all of you this morning. Uh, if you're a guest, again, we're honored that you're here. We'd love to say hi, meet you. We have a gift for you after service as well. Um, today, I'm going to wrap up this series that we've been in for what feels like half the year on uh, First Kings. We've been in it for months now. Um, I'm going to end us in First Kings chapter 21. And uh, if you've read your Bible, you'll know there's one more chapter after that. If you want to read that later this week, you can and should do that. I think that'd be good for you to read the Bible outside of church. Um, for some of you, it'll be a new thing, but it'll be great. First uh, Kings chapter 21. Now, what's happened in the book of First Kings is we've walked through these moments with Solomon as the king, and then we've read about all the kings that have sort of unfolded their rule and their reign. And the kings uh, weren't great, to put it lightly. And then we see sort of the power shift into like the world of the prophets. And so what we find in First Kings chapter 21 is really just like a mundane story about what goes on in the life of a king from day to day. First Kings 21. It says this, sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, <laughs> nailed it, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I'll give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, 
I will pay you for whatever it's worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth, the Jezreelite, had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestor. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered, because I said to Naboth, the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat, cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters she wrote, Proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. But seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed in the letters she had written to them. They proclaimed a fast, seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people, Then two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth was cursed both God and the king. So they took him outside the city, and they stoned him to death. Then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, Get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive but dead. And when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up. And went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Brothers and sisters, even this is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, let's pray. God, your church is a gift. We see that every time we gather as a group. We recognize that there is joy in this space in the midst of sadness. That there is holiness and goodness in the midst of fear and anxiety. And that your spirit is the only way in which we are empowered and embodied to discover that here among your people. So God, we ask the same thing that we do every week, that as we read your word, as these scriptures would be open, that our eyes would see new things, our ears would hear new things, and that our minds would be formed to think like the very person of Jesus. Would you give us the mind of Christ this morning? Help us to see the world the way that you see it. We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So, King Ahab is a rough dude. King Ahab is the same king that earlier on in 1 Kings, there's this moment between Elijah and a king, and the king basically says, hey man, me and my wife, you've been trouble for us, it's time to have you killed. So Ahab sends troops after Elijah, and Elijah flees. King Ahab is known in the scriptures as someone who... uh, he did some dirty work. In fact, one of the ways that he's described earlier on in the book of First Kings is that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those kings before him, like any of them. So when people in this moment thought about Ahab, Ahab was like the pinnacle, the worst of the worst. And what we find in here is this moment where he's sitting in his palace, he's looking out among his palace, and he sees that there is a vineyard that he would like for his own. He goes down to the vineyard and he says that he would like to claim it so that he can turn this vineyard into a vegetable garden. Now, I don't know about you, 
But never in my life have I thought I would rather have a carrot over a Chardonnay. But King Ahab, for whatever reason, has decided what he needs in this spot is a vegetable garden, which to me is strange, not just because I would rather have a nice glass of wine. It's strange to me because you have to imagine that Ahab as a king probably drank wine. And that in those days, the way that they would procure such a product is they would go to the place that was as close to them as possible, which if he can see this from his palace, he probably drank wine from this place. Now, maybe it was just bad wine. He was like, we need to stop this. We need to get ahead of this uh, product that's unfolding here. For whatever reason, he concludes he would rather have a vegetable garden there. So he goes down to this guy named Naboth and he says to him, I would like to claim this for my own. He says, I'll, I'll pay you for it. I'll give you a different plot of land to start a vineyard. You name it, we can make it happen. And Naboth just looks at him and says, no. Which, nothing wrong is happening. I just want to be clear about that. The kings do a lot of bad stuff in 1 Kings. This isn't wrong yet. This is a guy who's found a piece of land that he would like, and he makes an attempt to purchase it, to claim it. Some of you work in real estate. Some of you know what it's like to even have someone come to your home and say, hey, we really like your house. Could we buy it? Nothing wrong is happening here. But what we see sort of clearly by Naboth's response is that Naboth and King Ahab have two different pictures of what this land is. For Ahab, this land is a commodity. It's something to be claimed. It's something to be taken and manipulated and turned into whatever he wants. But for Naboth, this is a part of his family line. This is land that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. You can't just step in and sort of claim it. He looks at him and says, man, God has told me I'm not getting rid of this land that I've inherited. So no, I I can't give it to you. And Ahab goes home and he cries and he refuses to eat. He goes full like three-year-old toddler. As an adult, I'm not eating. I'm just going to sit here and sob. Again, still, nothing wrong. Many of us have gone through moments of disappointment. We know what it's like to want something, and then we don't get it, and we feel all sorts of things about it. But the, the moment that things go wrong in this story is when Ahab's wife Jezebel steps into the story and says, well, we could just kill him. Which seems unreasonable, but many of you know what it's like to have a wall put up in front of you for something that you desire and you think to yourself, is there any way that I could procure this? And usually murder doesn't come into our minds early. (laughs) Hopefully not at all. But you have those moments where you think to yourself, how can I just get this person out of the picture? Because it's really them who's blocking what's going on. And what we see with Ahab as this plan is enacted is he just crumbles, he unfolds. He becomes a passive participant in the murder and death and heist of a man and his property. Now, it can be easy to look at Ahab and be like, what a juvenile response to life. New Life East, can I ask you a question this morning? How do you respond when things just don't go your way? It might feel like a question that you're pondering with your kids, but I'm asking you this morning. How do you, an adult, a fully grown, hopefully matured, or at least getting there human, respond, working on it, how do you respond when things just don't go your way? 
when the promotion that you were seeking after at work is given to someone else? How do you respond? When you and your family find that house that is just perfect and you put in an offer and it's denied, how do you respond? When you have dreams and desires and hopes and everything and you, you put all your chips in the table on it and it just doesn't work out. How do you respond when things don't go your way? You know, one of the fun things we do in the Western world is when a new calendar year rolls around, we sort of have these like dreams and hopes and goals, things that we set for ourselves. We want the year to be like this. And when uh, my family and I, when we rolled into 2023, we had really, uh, really high goals, really high hopes. We thought it was going to be a good year, thought it was going to be great. And uh, I am here to tell you that 2023 has been the hardest year of our family's life. And I don't tell you this so that you can come up to me after service and be like, oh, are you okay? Don't do that to me. Nor do I want you to fix my problems. I am telling you this, one, for therapeutic reasons, and two, to be self-deprecating because it's funny. This year has been hard. My wife and I, last night, we sat down at a table and we sort of took an audit of our life, which is maybe the second or third time we've done that in recent history. We're just trying to keep track of the things that unfold. And we realized that over the year of 2023, we have had 13 significant things happen in our lives that if one or two of them would have happened in a year, we would have been like, man, that was a challenging stretch of time. But we've had 13. Lucky number? Not really. I'll give you a little sneak peek into some of them. The first week of May, we walk into our hallway bathroom and it is uh, covered in water, which I don't know if you know this, but normal bathrooms are not covered in water on the floor unless it's outside, which then it's not a bathroom, but covered in water. We call our insurance agent, we get water specialists to come in to clear out all the water, strip everything down, we get the insurance involved, get contractors hired, man, we think things are gonna be good. Six days later, it's our daughter's birthday and, uh, or it's my wife's birthday, I think is when this happened. We, uh, we go into our living room after it has been raining because you know, we live in a monsoon region now, evidently in Colorado. And uh, it had rained and rained and rained and winds blew and I don't know what my house is built on right now, but we're trying to figure it out. We notice that there's water just dumping into our laundry room. There's water in our walls, which again, water's not supposed to be in your drywall. That's not how it works. We call the water specialists. They come in, they drain it all out. They take drywall out. They do all sorts of stuff. And our house is old, so you know, it's nothing's ever easy. And Things after things begin to unfold. And I remember in the summer, we said to ourselves, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go on a vacation, just me and my wife, because that's going to like clear our heads. That's going to make everything good. That's going to, that's going to at least make sure we're on the same page. Everything's going to be great. We go on vacation. What we discover is that our contractors had stolen money from us. We needed to fire them. And I know what you're thinking. It wasn't Colin. Um, (laughs) He's fixing everything now. Should have hired him in the first place. This is not a business plug for Colin, but whatever. 1-800-FIX-MY-HOME. We find out that our contractors had been lying to us. They'd stolen money from us. Everything just gets progressively worse. And here's what I would love to tell you is that through this whole year, I have behaved perfectly. But I haven't. (laughs) Uh, It's been hard mentally, emotionally. I'm exhausted. I can't wait for 2024. Until you realize that that's just a construct that we've sort of made up, that when the calendar turns, everything changes. Nonetheless, 
How do we behave when things don't go our way? When things don't go as planned? I think this moment in 1 Kings gives us a picture of what the Christian response to things not going our way can be. Because the thing about the Christian tradition is that it's never told us life will be perfect. If that's what you thought this was, it's the wrong religion for you. Um, No one ever looked at us and said life will be perfect. In fact, it's a faith that is built on the back of suffering and what it looks like to move through it. A couple things that I recognize in this story, and we'll try to fly through these today as fast as possible. Healthy ways for us to respond when things don't go our way is that we want to acknowledge our feelings before God, but we are not derailed by them. The psalmist does this beautifully all the time. He acknowledges, life is not going as I thought it should. People are trying to kill me. My life has been ripped to shreds. And they put them in front of God and say, God, you, you get to hold these. You get to hold this. Ahab messes this up. Ahab feels the feeling of grief and disappointment. But it doesn't just arrive as an emotion. It completely derails his life. And part of that is because what the kings had gotten wrong is they didn't know how to put all of their life in front of God. They knew how to put like their leadership there, sort of, until all of a sudden they needed to find other gods to fit the bill. Ahab doesn't take all of his emotions, all of his disappointment when life has not gone the way that he wanted. He just wanted a vineyard and it didn't happen. And he doesn't put it in front of God. What we're meant to do is be people who acknowledge our feelings. We don't deny them. One of the worst things we can do with our feelings is pretend they're not there. Is to walk around in grief and be like, no, everything is fine. One of the greatest complaints about Christianity in the world today, why it's out of touch is that they walk into a space where people are sort of being oblivious to the chaos of the world. We don't have to do that. The freedom of our faith is to acknowledge our feelings openly and then to put them in front of a God who can actually hold them with us. But many of us have different strategies, different ways that we respond when life don't go our way. Some of us just emotionally implode. We do what Ahab does. We go into our room, we lay down, we turn on Netflix, we isolate ourselves. We don't eat anything for days. Our lives just completely emotionally implode. Some of us, we deny and we minimize what is going on. We try to take those feelings, those emotions, we try to put them in our back pocket, pretend that they're not real. We don't have to acknowledge them. It's not that big of a deal. Some of us though, and I do this quite frequently, We look for someone to put the blame on, whether it's ourselves or someone else. The emotions are too much. We don't know where to house them, so you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna find the person to blame. You know whose fault this is that my life is not gonna, it's really my boss's fault. It's really, the reason we didn't get that house is really the realtor's fault. The reason that everything is unfolding this way, it's really someone, someone else ought to hold this. I can't do it anymore. More. Some of us, in our worst moments, we find every distraction we can to avoid those feelings. This is where addictions show up. This is where leaning on things like alcohol show up. You're not acknowledging your feelings, so what you're doing is you're just trying to find something to distract you. Distraction can also look like the person who, when their life is falling apart, um, always use sarcasm to sort of coax over it. I've never done that. I don't know why my hand is raised. Some of us, though, what often happens is we just keep stuffing it down until one day it explodes in anger. You ever had that happen? Life doesn't go your way, and one day you just wake up and it just explodes out of you. I remember my wife and I, we'd been married for a couple years, and we were going to uh, a wedding in eastern Tennessee. 
And uh, for weeks, I had tried to get out of this wedding. I didn't want to go to it. It was, some of, it was one of her college roommates. And I love my wife, but I don't like her college roommates at all. Um, and I was very vocal for weeks of trying to get out of this. And sure enough, none of it worked. So we find ourselves at the Dallas Love Field Airport. And I'm like trying everything to get out of it. I'm sort of like raising the question of like, well, you know, like, what, I don't know, the plane might not be safe today. You know, like I'm just like, I'm just like throwing stuff in the air. And of course, with the airport, we find out that our flight is like an hour delayed, which means we're going to land in Charlotte for a connection and we're not going to make our connection. We get on our plane from Dallas, we fly to Charlotte, we land at the Charlotte airport and they go, hey, those of you who are trying to make a connection to, to where we were going, you have 15 minutes to make it to the gate. And I was so mad to be there at all. I just start running to the gate. I'm not missing, I'm not getting stuck in Charlotte. I don't want to be anywhere right now. I'm definitely not getting stuck in Charlotte. So I start running. My wife is pregnant and I look back and yell, every man for himself. And I'm just sprinting. I get to the counter, no lie, I get to the counter as they're shutting the door to the tarmac thing to get, they're shutting the door. And I go, no, 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 there's, there's two of us here. And the lady's first response was like, there's not two of you anywhere. And I was like, she'll be here in a minute. Don't worry about it. We got to get on this flight. She goes, sir, I already shut the door. I'm like, but I'm right here. Just like crack it open. Just let us, please just let us on. I can't, I can't do that. I stand there for a moment and in pure rage, punch the front of the American Airlines counter. I'm a pastor. My wife walks up as this act of strength is happening. And she looks at me and says, go fix it. I walk away because she's right. I have a moment to myself and I come back composed. The lady at the desk is being very kind. She's very cooperative. I still don't want to be here. She goes, we can get you on a new flight in about an hour. I'm like, eh, it's great. She says, where are you guys flying from? She's just trying to make small talk. We're coming from Dallas, Fort Worth. Oh, that's so cool. I lived in Dallas, Fort Worth for a little while. That's great. <laughs> where were you, where'd you live? I'm now trying to be cooperative. She says, oh, I lived in Southlake. I'm like, oh, that's right. That's just like a town over. She goes, um, what do you do in Dallas, Fort Worth? <laughs> and I work, I was a pastor at a church called Compass Christian Church. So of course I looked at her and I said, I'm a pastor at Gateway. <laughs> and, and we go on, all things aside. We have moments where our emotional response to not getting the things that we want. We're not just honest about them, they derail us. And we don't let, need to let them derail us. What we have to do is get honest about our feelings. Some of you in here are going through a moment like this. You have to get honest about your feelings. You have to put them before God. And you, guess what you find when you put them before God? You find a God who wants to hold them with you. And then the best byproduct is God somehow takes our emotions and he right-sizes them. He goes, hey, it's okay to be sad. You don't need to be this sad. You need to be this sad. You don't need to be this angry. You need to be this angry. You don't need to be this afraid. You don't need to be this anxious. You need to be this. 
anxious. The second thing that I notice in this text that we can sort of respond with is that we become the people who refuse to, menu, to use manipulation as a method to gain control. I don't need to read the scripture. I know we have it queued up here, but we see that King Ahab's wife comes out of the woodwork and she looks at him, first of all, and says, aren't you the king? Like, aren't you supposed to be, you're supposed to be eating. You're supposed to be up. She starts questioning his identity. We read it as her sort of trying to get him out of his funk. Don't you hate when people show up in your life when things aren't going great and they offer either like really bad platitudes or they all of a sudden, all of a sudden that you realize they should be a Peloton instructor and they're like, hey, you can do it. No, I can't. If I could have done it, I would have done it. She shows up and she tries to manipulate him to do something. She quickly realizes he won't. So what does she do? She goes, well, great. Give me your pen. Give me your seal. I'll take care of it. She goes as far as to have someone's life completely wiped out for the sake of something that this man just wants. He doesn't need. He just wants. Life hasn't gone his way, but she's going to use whatever means possible to make it happen. Manipulation, I think the best way to think about it for many of us is any time that we dishonestly alter or control a situation to achieve an outcome that is exclusively beneficial to us. We can try to justify it through all sorts of ways, but manipulation is anything that we do that is even just slightly dishonest. It can range all the way from withholding information, not telling your spouse something, all the way to lying on the bottom line. And you know what I found about humans? We're actually really quick to jump to this, this step. Things don't exactly go our way. So we start formulating all these ways that we could grab a hold of the problem and like a Rubik's cube, start to shift it and shuffle it around until it looks exactly as we need it to. You know how I know that we're good at this? Characters in the Bible do this all the time. The one that sort of comes to mind the clearest is the story early on. You know, there's a man named Abram. God comes to him and says, you're going to be the father of many nations. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. What a confirmation from God. Abram has all these moments where he sees it as clear as possible. God is going to be with him. And then all of a sudden there's a famine in the land that they live. So Abram and his wife, Sarai, they go to Egypt. And Abram looks at his wife and says, hey, if people think you're my wife, they're going to kill you and take you. So... Let's tell people you're my sister, which feels like a real sweet home Alabama moment. But he says, let's tell people you're my sister. Then we'll all be safe. Abram, God's already told you he's got you, man. No, let, you'll be my sister. So sure enough, they make their way into Egypt. And Sarai, who was evidently beautiful at the time, Pharaoh, the biggest, highest leader in the space, notices her and says, I want to be married to her. Abram doesn't balk at it because you know what happens for Abram is he starts gaining wealth because of this lie. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh, who's trying to marry this, marry this woman, he starts experiencing plagues. Things start going wrong in his house like you cannot imagine. He comes to find out that Sarai is actually Abram's wife. And he comes to Abram and goes, why did you do this? Take your wife back and go. You know what I recognize about that story that I think is helpful for some of us? What manipulation always makes us do is we have to shapeshift who we are. We have to like hide ourselves and pretend to be something that we're not in order to achieve some end goal that no one asked us to achieve. You know why I think we manipulate situations? It's because we're ultimately asking the question, is God really going to take care of me? 
When everything hits the fan, when everything bottoms out, is God really going to take care of me? And manipulation answers that question with a no. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to step in. I'm going to write letters. I'm going to take my husband's seal. I'm going to do it. I'm going to manipulate the banking accounts. I'm going to change everything that I can. I'm going to make up stories about people in my office. I'm going to tell stories about people in church. I'm going to, I'm going to shapeshift this to be whatever I need it to be. And you know what happens to Ahab? Death. A chapter later, he's cursed for this. His whole life unfolds simply because he stepped in to manipulate this one moment. You know, I think the easiest way to like fight against the temptation to use manipulation. This is not biblical, this is Rory here. Sit down and be quiet for a little bit. We have this temptation when things don't go our way to immediately start problem solving. And you know what happens? Most of those problems we can't solve. If we could have, we wouldn't be where we are right now. So sit down, take a deep breath, let God do the fighting for you. Let God do the work for you. The last thing that I recognize about this in this story is that when things don't go our way, we have the opportunity to recognize that our lives, exactly as they are, are a gift and not a curse. Your life, exactly as it exists right in this moment, is still a gift. I'm using the word still on purpose because there are some of you who are walking through things that make you look at your life and go, I feel like God has not just abandoned me, but he has forgotten me. Maybe he was never there in the first place. My life has no semblance of blessing. My life only has semblance of destruction. I think about the words of the psalmist in Psalm 34. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack what? Nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. No good thing. Even when our lives have moments where we have desired and dreamed and longed for things, and they don't come to fruition. Your life, exactly as it is, is still a gift. Some of you just need to, some of you just need to believe that that could be true today. You don't need to fully believe that it is true. You just need to believe that it could be true. Can I tell you why? That's what I'm doing every day of 2023. I'm believing that it could be true. That even in the midst of our house falling apart, things could be true. Even in the midst of loss in our family, it could be true. Even in the midst of money just disappearing, it could be true. That your life is not a curse. Your life is not falling to pieces. Your life as it is, is still a gift. Why? Because God is still with you. I recognize with a message like this, that there are some of us who can trace ourselves in the story of Ahab, places where we have allowed our emotions to completely derailed us, places where we have leaned into manipulation because it seems like the most logical way out. And I have some good news for you. The rest of the story unfolds like this, starting in verse 17. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard. I love the way God works. It's not Ahab's vineyard. It's still Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Ahab said to Elijah, so you have found me, my enemy. I found you, he answered, because you've sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. He says, I'm going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. You have robbed Naboth of an inheritance and a legacy. I will now take that from you. I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, and that of Basha, son of Asia, because you have aroused my anger and have caused Israel to sin. And also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city, and the birds will feed on those who die in the country. God can get colorful when he needs to. There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites. The Lord drove out before Israel. Now catch this. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted. And he lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. This was an act that the Israelites would do when they had messed up, when things had gone away that they weren't planning. They would mourn. They would tear their clothes. They would cover their head in ashes. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has what? Humbled himself before me. And because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. Ahab had done massively worse things than any of us in this room have done when things have not gone our way. He's killed people. He's robbed people. He's destroyed families. He's destroyed cities. I don't know what you have done, but can I tell you that the invitation from the Lord, if you find yourself in a season where you're going, things are just not going the way that I want. My dreams that I've had are not unfolding at the rate at which I think they should. My family is not as safe as I wish they would be. The goals that I had are falling to pieces. Can I tell you there's two things that we have to do? This is the good news of what God invites us into. We have to simply model humility and repentance. For some of you, your life has not gone the way that you wished it would. And what you can do in humility is still hold all of it up to the Lord and say, God, I know this is a gift. I'm gonna believe that it's a gift. And for those of us who have found ourselves derailed by our emotions, manipulating things as we can, even cursing our own life in existence, looking at ourselves, wondering, would it be better if I just wasn't dealing with any of this? You know what we can do? We can also come to God and say, God, I'm sorry, help me see it differently. I'm sorry for the places that I've manipulated to get my way. I'm sorry for the way that I've lied. I'm sorry for the way that I've stolen. I'm sorry for the ways that I've done things that have not helped. We can simply come to him with humility and repentance. So New Life East, would you stand this morning?
we recognize that as we come to the table every Sunday, there's no, there's no place that we can go in our lives that God can't find us. There's nothing that can happen that can bottom our lives out too much. God is holding all of those things together. And again, you may not even believe that today. But we remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he's given thanks. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. That same night he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink, would you do so in remembrance of me? I want to invite our communion servers to come forward this morning. We're going to form two lines down this center aisle. You'll come forward. Someone will serve you the bread that represents Jesus' body. You'll take that. You'll dip it into the cup that represents Jesus' shed blood for you. It's a reminder of his covenant that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He just can't do it. He doesn't know how. Doesn't know how. So New Life East, would you come forward to receive communion this morning?
Let's make that a prayer. What a word this morning by Pastor Rory. Uh, We got one more thing. You can give it up and thank God for that. It's good to have great preachers in our midst. Um, One more thing we have to do this morning. I was thinking while we were worshiping that one of the places in our lives where things often don't go the way that we want them to go is in our families. And we're getting ready to head into the Thanksgiving week here. And... For as many of us in this room have a lot of anticipation around in Thanksgiving week, yay, being with family. I know this. I was crying on the front row thinking about this. Some of you, you've got like a knot in your stomach about it. There's so many associations, relationships you're about to walk into that are just not right. Maybe you sustain loss in your family. This is going to be a hard week for you. And so I want you just to take the hand of the person next to you. And so this is us coming together as a church family. One of the things that we don't talk about often enough is that at the end of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi says that the sign of the new covenant, that the kingdom is at hand, is that the hearts of parents are gonna get turned to their kids and kids to their parents. 
that there's a great coming together of families. And I think that the sign that the spirit has been given is that our families start working the way that they're supposed to. And so we just, well, we say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come and flood every part of us. As we head into this week, I know for so many in this room, there is conflict that is unresolved. There's brokenness and estrangement and alienation relationships that's unresolved. There's just pain that's there. And so what else can we say? What else can we cry? But Holy Spirit, come. I am praying that this week would be a week where there would be surprises of the Spirit in families. I'm praying that there are so many in this room that there are reconciliations that they've been hoping for for so long and they actually just let them go. They just went, there is no chance. I'm praying that reconciliations that are beyond anything we could have ever hoped for, that that would take place this week. I'm asking, Lord, that words that have needed to be spoken for years would finally be spoken, that the truth would come out. And Jesus says that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so I pray that the truth spoken in families would liberate and heal and cleanse wounded places. And I'm asking over every single one of us, we ask that the spirit would flood us and fill us in a new way as we head into this. And so let's sing it again, church. Holy Spirit, come. And flood. Come on, sing it. Every part of us. Just welcome the spirit. Come on. Holy Spirit, come. courageous, make us gentle, make us joyful. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Every part One more time, church. Sing it out. your hands like this. Receive this blessing as you go, church. Beloved of the Lord, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. If you need prayer for anything this morning, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. They would love to pray with you. If you're new, see us in Connect Central. Grab one or two or three or four or ten families for adoptive families in the lobby. Coffee and donuts. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Have a great Thanksgiving. We'll see you next Sunday.